Today's edition of the Five Reasons Podcast is brought to you by Moss Miami, an event coming up on Saturday night featuring Dan Levitard and Poppy for a night of music, art, and dominoes. It's Moss Miami, Volume 2 of Revolution Live, and Stash in Fort Lauderdale this Saturday. So I was actually at the first one. It was an incredible event. I was actually part of the team that was kind of helped, you know, put it together and set it all up. It was super fun. It was down at Blackbird Ordinary, and it was a dominoes tournament and the music, and it was fun all night long, and a similar event is happening this Saturday at Revolution Live in Fort Lauderdale. It's music made by Miami's local bands, Jacuzzi Boys, Magic City Hippies, Cannibal Kids, and Domovic will perform at Revolution Live. Live art will be performed by Diana Contreras and Sona. Plus at Stash, Poppy's Domino Tournament will be returning and happening along with a live performance by local band Damboca. Part of the proceeds will go to Bullies and Beyond Rescue and the Ron McGill Conservation Endowment. You can get tickets by logging on to levitardbrothers.com. Join Dan and Poppy this Saturday for Moss Miami Volume 2 at Revolution Live and Stash. And now, on with the podcast. Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here as always with Chris Whittingham. Actually, I'm not here as always uh, because I was not here for one of them last week. Took uh, my daughter up to Disney to go see the princesses for a few days. So I, I am back. Um, Disney has taken all of my money. Um, so we, <laughs> we, we, we we made it into the Frozen store. You know, you know how they do that, Chris? Like they put after the ride, like they take you. Right into right. the store. Right, right they, the they, store. they they want you to like buy the picture of you on the ride, but then that's mm-hmm. the Pandora's box into everything else there. Yes, yes, yes. So we we have our. I, I mean, another uh, Elsa and Anna blanket um, was was purchased. Uh, I managed to get out of there relatively unscathed, uh, but she remembered as we were leaving Epcot that I had promised at the beginning of the day that the Little Mermaid figurine could be had if we made it back to the store in time. So she ran ahead of me to make sure that she got there to get the little mermaid figurine, which is now in her room. So um, yeah, I, I basically lost all my money, but Disney anyway, World, I'm back. Disney world is a money pit for parents. Yeah, it, it is. It is. Uh, it's um, unless you get that ESPN discount, which, which we, we don't, mm. we don't have, but by the way, quickly, before we get to this other thing, um, ESPN worldwide of sports has really gone downhill. Um, is it really? Actually. Yeah, well, I remember it from like eight to ten years ago. Like there were things for kids to do. Uh, th- there was a, a restaurant. Like now, like I, we went there and uh, we, they told us it was still like that. We went there and it's just basically um, for teams around the state uh, and the country, like high school teams, you know, to have competitions, which is a very nice facility. But there's absolutely nothing. They charge you nineteen dollars, you know, for adults, and you walk in and there's there's nothing to do. So um, that was. That was a little bit, a little bit disappointing. But everything else uh, was good. I've been keeping track of everything that's been going on in sports. And actually, uh, we did start our patron feed here, Chris, uh, about a week or two ago. Uh, it's five dollars, and you get a ton of additional content from all of the podcasts in our network, including ours. And I did a couple of commentaries on there, and I actually thought we could start today by expanding on those. So we're going to cover three different teams here in South Florida and kind of a check-in of where they stand as we end July. And we're going to start with the Heat, as we typically do, go to the Dolphins, and then close with the Marlins. And so I wanted to start here, Chris. Here were my two takes on the patron feed. Um, One was related to Dwayne Wade, and it was the idea that Dwayne has at least five reasons not to remain with the heat 
uh, for next season. And the reasons that I went through there, uh, I started with, you know, the idea of he accomplished pretty much everything that he could have accomplished last year. Um, second, that the Heat had not really done anything this offseason to make it easier for him to come back because they have not cleared out any of the players at the two-guard spot. And they currently have five guys whose natural position is the shooting guard position. Um, and then the third thing was the Lakers are a viable option if he wants to go play for LeBron and they just clear out a couple of roster spots. And he could go play with Udonis out there. And I think uh, you know Udonis still hasn't signed. We, we don't talk about that as much. But obviously Udonis wants to get into business and Magic Johnson is a great person to tap into. And LeBron has shown a lot of appreciation for Udonis recently on social media. Uh, the fourth reason was that he has a viable offer in China. I mean, it's not a huge, huge offer like it got touted as, but it's a viable financial offer. He loves being over there. And he just signed a lifetime contract with Li Ning, which obviously, uh, if you're Li Ning, you want you know, your guy being the number one star in an entire country. And I think that Dwayne can still play at a high enough level uh, for that to be possible. And the fifth thing is he could just retire um, if he just decides that none of those options are really worth it. So before we get to my second take on the heat, which had to do with Riley, what's your feeling about what Dwayne will do now? I, I still, I, I'm actually, I'm totally confused because it's been a month now and I, I don't know what that means necessarily. I, I think a lot of us, we, we've obviously, we break down this stuff in our group chat all day and I think it's kind of led people to believe that he's seeking some sort of leverage elsewhere. But, I mean, if you're entering free agency with the Heat, you kind of knew what the deal was. Like, unless they're getting rid of big contracts, they weren't going to have salary cap space to sign him to anything bigger than a taxpayer mid-level. And the Heat can still offer that very same taxpayer mid-level. So I don't know what Dwayne Wade was, was sort of looking for by way of leverage. But, I mean, maybe he doesn't view it to be worth it to come back to play for $5 million and and have his career and maybe maybe do sort of one retirement tour season. Maybe the, maybe there are other things that uh, appeal to him more, but I think we pretty cl- you know clearly learned that his stops in other places, be it Chicago, be it Cleveland, were not great for either him or the team that were there. Like I was listening to Nick Friedel. Uh, he was on Zach Lowe's podcast, and the way in which he was talking about Dwayne Wade's tenure with the Heat was like catastrophic, that uh, almost everyone in the locker room hated him, that he wasn't at all a fit for what they wanted to do. And I, you just sort of wonder if there are other places in the NBA and then you mentioned China and retirement. I actually have been thinking a lot about China, uh, and I was talking about it with Channing Crowder on the radio last week, and he was sort of making, uh, I think, a very sort of American exceptionalist argument that if you have anything left to give to the NBA, you don't give yourself to China because here is the best basketball. If you want to play the best basketball, you play it here. Why would you play anywhere else? And I'm kind of thinking about it in the terms in which major European soccer players come to the United States, right? So Major League Soccer is not one of the best leagues in the world, but uh, Steven Gerrard came and Andre Pirlo came and David Beckham came and now Wayne Rooney and Zlatan Ibrahimovic are here. And th- it's like Zlatan Ibrahimovic is scoring a ton of goals. He actually scored a hat-trick last night for LA Galaxy. He could go and play for a mid-level team in Italy or in Germany or wherever and be a productive player and start a lot and score plenty of goals, but he viewed it as a bigger commercial opportunity for himself to play in Los Angeles and to play for one of the flagship franchises of Major League Soccer. And so he made that decision to pursue other things 
other than sporting things. And I feel like Dwayne Wade can do the same thing to by, by going to China. So I would actually, I, I would find it totally reasonable if he decided to make that decision. It's really the lifestyle factors for me that are the only reasons why he wouldn't. So I, I am, I'm entirely uncertain what he's going to do, but I really don't see bad options here for Dwayne. If he wants to do a retirement tour, if he just flatly wants to retire, like I, I don't think those are bad options for him either. Yeah, I don't think he's retiring. Um, I, to me, that's the least likely of the options because I mean, all of the working out, <laughs> particularly uh, <laughs> with LeBron, the shirtless working out, like I, 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 that doesn't seem to me like a guy who's going to retire. Now, I know Ray Allen did a lot of that and ultimately didn't come back. And there are some similarities here, actually, to Ray's ending. Like it, it Ray's, Ray's thing just dragged out forever and then it was over and like it was oh Ray retired like what what yeah. just happened and, and I know that the Heat tried to get Ray back a couple of times and Ray was not happy with the organization with Spolstra and then uh, some things happened in Cleveland that, that when they ended up getting J.R. Smith at the deadline it kind of closed the door on Ray for the rest of that season or else I think he would have ended up playing with the Cavaliers but uh, yeah I mean as far as Dwayne goes uh, to me the China one um is compelling, and I think it's compelling for a lot of reasons. Like we to Channing's argument, why I don't agree with it, is because you know Dwayne at this stage can still be a, a good NBA player. We saw that last year, and I think what you were talking about earlier with Nick Ferdell, you're referring to his tenure with the Bulls, not not with the Heat. Which you know, again, with with the did, Bulls, I, did I say the Heat? Am I bad? Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't want to correct okay. your time, but yeah, but but uh, but yeah, it didn't go great in, with the Bulls, and it didn't go great with the Cavaliers, and it might not go great with the Lakers. Although I do think that the one thing that that team is missing more than anything else, if the guys will buy into it, is at least the professionalism example that Dwayne and Udonis will set. Um, I, I think if they wanted to go out there together, I think that would be a message in the same way that bringing Mike Miller and James Jones to Cleveland was, that which is what LeBron tried to do there. So I, I see some similarities. But to me, the China thing is the only one with real upside. Okay, like with the Lakers, like even if Dwayne and Udonis go out there, like with what Udonis has to offer left as a basketball player, uh, you know, best case scenario for the Lakers is maybe they get to the second round. And, and I, I think that's unlikely in the Western Conference. Um, staying in Miami, you know, again, the roster is a mess. And we can talk about what they may be able to do by the trade deadline. And you can clear out Tyler potentially. You can clear out Dion potentially. But in the meantime, you can't build the value of either of those two guys if you're going to be playing Dwayne. So I, I just and, and again, you're stalling Josh Richardson, because what we talked about with Dwayne last year was Dwayne had this very positive effect on Justice Winslow, did not have a positive effect from a playing standpoint on Josh Richardson. The Josh basically went into an offensive shell after Dwayne came back. And I, to me, that's the last thing that you want to happen, because Josh is the one guy who you really want to see additional development with, from in addition to Justice and bam. So I, I think when you look at China, look, when when Marbury went to China, um, he had a checkered past. OK, uh, he was not in his prime either, maybe a little closer to it than Dwayne is, um, was not as good a player as Dwayne, although pretty damn good when he was playing at a high level in Minnesota. And, and look at what Marbury has become in that country. Now, you, you sit Dwayne goes over there who already has a profile internationally, has a huge profile in China. I've told this story on the patron feed, but the first time he went there, they were on a plane. And Lisa Joseph, who works with him, sent out a tweet about how Dwayne would have a meetup once he landed in Beijing. And he thought nobody was going to show up. And the thing was like, it was like a mile 
long wait to, to, to see him. And now that he, he comes back again, if he's going to come back and embrace the country as a player for that country, I mean, you can make an argument that after Yao Ming, Dwayne Wade could be the second biggest figure in Chinese basketball history. Um, and, and so I, I do think that that is compelling. Now, the problem, as you mentioned, is the personal problem, which is that he has, you know, he has two sons. And one of those sons um, is rising up the ladder from a basketball perspective himself. And I, you're not going to move him to China, I wouldn't think. So you're going to miss all of that. Um, I guess you could come back in March because I think that's when contracts in China end and you could see some of it. And maybe you can even join an NBA team, maybe even the Heat at that stage. But uh, to me, that's like you said, I, that's the only reason, in my opinion, not to do it. It's not so much for me about the money of the contract. It's it's the profile increase for him at a stage where there's really nothing he can do in the United States to increase his profile anymore. Um, He's done all of it. And he had two moments with the heat last year, one against the Sixers in the regular season and one in the postseason. I don't know what's left for him in the NBA. And I just don't think the heat did a very good job. I'm not going to get into the contract issue. We can talk about what money he's worth. 5.3 seems somewhat appropriate. To me, it's it's the the clearing out the roster that they didn't do. There's just no place for him on this team, and it's not his fault. Yeah, it's not his fault, but also, if, if you're going to blame the Heat for this, you're blaming them a year ago, two years ago. Like I, I'm not blaming them for not stapling an asset to whoever to, in order to get rid of them. Like I, I just I don't think that's a prudent decision to to build out a basketball team is to staple Justice Winslow to someone or take basically exchange problems right like and and that wouldn't help the heat either if if you're if you're going to say I'll give you James Johnson but you take my bad contract like I I just don't know how that helps the situation so I I understand the heat in this offseason, basically doing nothing. They've done nothing in the offseason, and I totally get it. And I've been saying that I think they should just kind of ride out the wave. Maybe you take a chance on, you know, Kawhi Leonard or, you know, or, you know, if DeMar DeRozan was available, you'd, you you sort of take, you know, big swings and you sort of spend the next few years that way. But I don't know why the Heat would do anything other than what they've done so far in this offseason. If you can go back in time and not give Deion Waiters or James Johnson or whomever those contracts, you would absolutely do that. But in this offseason, I totally understand what they've done. I, I just don't think that when you're sort of looking at it going forward, you can bring Dwayne Wade back and you can play some guys out of position. Like I do think the NBA does allow you to to play three small guards and not get totally destroyed on the defensive end. Like I think that there is still some maneuverability. The one thing though, in terms of the money, yes, five million dollars for Dwayne Wade is fair now. But the one thing that is kind of the counter argument to that is that. If, for example, Dwayne Wade came back on one year and said, this is my last year, the figure that that's worth to the Heat in terms mm-hmm. of business, in terms of all the stuff that's going to happen, is significantly more than that figure. And that, for me, was always the thing with with Dwayne, was you have to sort of balance these two things, which is his business worth to you as a franchise and his basketball worth. And I think those are two very different figures. And particularly going forward now, as he gets closer towards retirement, that number actually only becomes higher while his basketball worth only becomes lower. So uh, figuring out his dollar amount is always going to be hard. 
Yeah, it is. And, and you're right about that. And it was a huge boost for them last year. And it is going to be deflating to some Heat fans. I mean, I, and I understand what you're saying about not doing anything this offseason. I mean, Andy Bailey on Twitter uh, posted everybody's uh, changes this offseason uh, in terms of value over replacement player. And the only team in the league that was at zero in terms of not better and not worse was the Heat. Um, yep. <laughs> the only team that didn't do anything at all other than just re-sign Wayne Ellington. So I, I think it's a hard sell to Heat fans, um, you know, to just bring everyone back. I understand why it's been done, but you're right. It's the mistakes. To me, it's the four contracts uh, that were signed in, in 16 and 17 that are the problem. Uh, you, you cannot uh, blame, you know, you can't, you can't cite the tax to, to not bring Dwayne back because I, I don't want to hear about the tax. I mean, the Heat put yeah. themselves in this position. And, and uh, they, they haven't they paid it. their way out of it at some point. So, uh, you know, I just I just don't have any sympathy for that particular argument. They, they're not wanting to give up assets. That I get. OK, mm-hmm. but, but the tax thing has never resonated with me. Um, obviously, Mickey is a very, very, very wealthy man. Um, he's in the top. He's certainly in the top third in NBA owners in terms of wealth. And so I, that's the one thing that I've just never bought. Now, I understand not wanting to pay it for a team that's going to be 43 and 39. I get it. But again, you kind of put yourself in this position, which I want to transition to the next part here with the Heat before we move on to the Dolphins and the Marlins, which was Pat Riley's comments. And I don't know if these were exclusive to Barry Jackson, but it was a Barry Jackson article. So that's the one that I'm citing. I, th- I think I, he had like some sort of conference call because okay. uh, there, there, there were a few outlets that had them. Okay, they might have been Barry's questions, uh, and I think that's the way that he framed them. So uh, we always like to give proper attribution here. But uh, there are some comments in here from Pat uh, that I addressed on the Patreon feed, but let's go through them again. Uh, He said, you don't ever want to make a trade for the sake of making a trade. You don't want to just do that and say, let's just do something because everybody is upset. Every now and then, people have to step back, even the organization, and take a deep breath and get ready for another season. That's what we're doing, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the continuity of our players. Our players don't like to be perceived how they're being perceived as a team, and maybe they, where they're going to finish. That always serves as motivation. He said, I don't feel that level of anger from Heat fans. There are fans that write in that say they want more. We try to address it, let them know if you have a little patience. You have to have a little patience at times. Right now, we're in that period of hoping our fans will just have a little patience and let this thing grow. And then he did later kind of make a distinction between, and and this comes up on Twitter all the time, Chris, he made a distinction between sort of big three heat fans and heat fans. Um, He didn't do it explicitly, but that's kind of how it got read by a lot of different people. Um, I mean, this quote in particular, he said, if any fan out there is unhappy or angry, we didn't go out and get LeBron James or Kevin Durant or Boogie Cousins or whatever else they felt they would want us to get, probably didn't realize we couldn't get them anyhow, that we couldn't trade for them. There are things I read where people are so uninformed about the rules and what we can and cannot do until one of you reporters, and most of the time you do that, say we couldn't make that move. And then he said, free agency and room can be overstated. You can have room fatigue since 2010. We've been a team that has always been chasing somebody bigger and better. All right. I sort of unpack this on the patron feed, which again, we, we recommend you subscribe to. I'm going to let you do it here. Yeah. Room fatigue. I, I didn't understand that one, which was basically we keep playing for salary cap flexibility and we keep striking out. So we'd rather give away that salary cap space so that we don't sort of constantly exhaust ourselves with the dream of getting something better. I, I don't necessarily understand that concept. I do understand where he's coming from in terms of the, the, the pipe dream trades where we do this and we do that and we don't take anyone else's problem back and people will value our stuff. I, I think the one thing that's sort of happened in this offseason is that 
and I heard Levitard say this on the radio this morning, and it, it sounded like it was sourced that he the the, the Heat have basically you know in their trade discussions only been offered th- you know punishments in return like if you we'll take your stuff but you got to take our stuff and the heat don't want to do that and I, I totally understand it because that seems to be where a lot of the league is right now and well you would hope that your organization would rise above it and Pat Riley was a year away from rising above it right like he was a year away but then the 2017 offseason happened and he didn't rise above it but a lot of teams right now are in cap hell a lot of teams right now are looking to offload stuff that that they regret signing and I think that it's totally understandable that they they approach the offseason this way but I, I don't get you know trying to justify further that 2017 offseason like he he is someone who has always talked about wanting to win championships and being a championship organization and competing at the highest level and when he says that or I, I, I don't know I to be honest with you I've not read the quotes yet but um, the the degree to which he is separating big three heat fans from the rest of the fan base like I don't think it's just big three heat heat fans that or the, or the people that started following the team in 2010 that want them constantly competing he's someone who set that standard for the organization and he's someone who sets that standard for himself so as much as people want to say well you can be fine with go you know getting a, the six seed and and you you know, competing in the playoffs and then eventually going out. Like he's someone who who himself has always wanted more, and so I don't know why he would set that st- like he would want that standard changed for anybody. Like this is this is how the Heat define themselves. Now, are there going to be times in which they're not going to be good? Of course, like every like only the Spurs get to you know win fifty games every year, and even the year in which they don't win fifty, they make the playoffs anyway. But I don't know why he would want anything about the way that he is viewed or the organization is viewed to be changed just based off the fact of their current predicament. So I, I don't understand, you know, having a go at people for wanting them to compete more and do more because I, I don't think right now, I, I, I think the conversation around the league has changed so much from, well, yeah, you know, making the playoffs and doing well is okay. Well, now it's referred to as the treadmill of mediocrity, right? Like when you're sick, you're the, you know, the 13th best team in the league and you, you're drafting in the mid-teens and you don't have any maneuverability out of it or any young players that look like superstars. Like that is the worst thing you can be in the league. So I think, in, in, or at least in the eyes of some. Now, I've certainly been yelled at plenty that people enjoy it and people enjoy watching the games and they're fun games and they like winning a little bit, if not winning the championship. Like, okay, but I think a lot of people aren't accepting of that. And I don't think Pat Riley's accepting of that. So I don't know why he would have a pop at, at, at anyone for, for expecting otherwise. Isn't this the winning or misery guy? And was was winning 43 games, does that qualify as the winning? I mean, I look, I, I had to read Winner Within about six times to memorize it. So that when <laughs> I was covering him, I, I, I just I just don't I, I, I don't get this at all. Um, and, and let me read you the rest of the quote, because I, I do think the big three thing is legitimate um, in terms of social media. So here was his quote on this. I talk to a lot of fans. I've given speeches to our season ticket holders and our sponsors and talk to people and what come across comes across social media or what some fan who might be a real diehard fan might show in frustration is because we are not where we were when we had the big three. We don't have that kind of team right now. Somewhere along the line, people have to realize you are a basketball fan and you love the game. I mean, if I would have put a quote up, if I would have put a quote up from any executive in all of professional sports, Pat Riley is the last person you would have put next to that quote. 
I, just the absolute last person. It, it it's mm-hmm. totally out of character in the same way that 2017 was out of character. And look, I remember his press conference after the 2016 summer where he talked about how there were a lot of teams that signed bad contracts that were going to regret them and those players would be moved in the next couple of years. That was the organizational belief. It wasn't just him. It was others in the organization. And so, again, 2016, look, the Tyler thing, again, I think that came from above him. Um, The Whiteside thing, you and I have talked about ad nauseum. There are justifications for it. There just was no justification for what happened last summer. Just none. I mean, to compound it. And, I mean, now we're at a situation where, you know, can you move – either of those guys. We talk a lot about Tyler and we talk a lot about Hassan, but we don't talk as much about Dion or James Johnson. And maybe, look, maybe both will have bounce back seasons. I mean, James Johnson clearly was playing hurt last year. um, And so there were a lot of good things he did the previous season. I still think he's a progress stopper for, for justice, which to me is not ideal. But uh, you know, as far as Dion goes, I mean, Dion plays into a lot of this. Like, you know, if, if you're getting the Dion you got for two months at the end of that season, okay, you can justify that number. I just don't know if if we believe we're going to get that. And so I, I look at this quote, and again, I understand the separation between Big Three Twitter and and pre and prior Twitter. And Pat does look on Twitter, okay, so that's where a lot of this is coming from. Um, and, and so I understand his frustration with people wanting them to be champions all the time. I get that. And look, there are a lot of fans who came in in 2004, 2005, also, okay, with Shaq. I mean, and and we're getting to the stage where you know their core fans who are in their 20s and 30s, right? Like that's their for their first era, right? Like that's your first era, pretty much. I yep. mean, we mm-hmm. we've we've had. Um, you know, people on the show talking about the Zoe Hardaway years. And again, that's educational for you in a lot of ways because you were young. I mean, I, yeah. I was my, my first era was really like kind of the pre Dwayne Wade drafting team. So when we talked to Brian Grant, like like those were some of the like the Eddie Jones, Brian mm-hmm. Grant and, and those teams that I could let, you know, at times struggled and then it kind of all kind of fell apart there. Um, and yeah, like that, like, that's what I remember. Like, I'm not totally spoiled by the heat, but I, I am, I think spoiled by the league, which is, I think it's a tanking or, or, or contending league right now. I think those teams in the middle are kind of in an undesirable location. I think the heat are kind of the least desirable of those undesirable teams. Cause at least like, okay, Portland is ne- is not going to compete for a championship, but they have Damian Lillard. Like, where's the Heat's Damian Lillard? Like, not just a player who, yeah, by himself is not good enough to win you a championship, but it was a, it is a building block. Like, that for me is the thing that I always sort of grapple with when I talk about how dire the state of the team is. I don't think I'm being spoiled. I just think that there's nothing that gives you any sense of hope for the future. Or a, a player, a draft pick, an asset, and like, there. I just don't think that there's anything that gives you that sense of hope going forward. Because if you look at teams, other teams that are sort of in the slight upper middle class of the NBA right now, which is where I think the Heat are. And I think the honestly, Chris, I think the only reason they're there instead of middle to slightly lower middle is because of their coach. Honestly, sure. Um, it, I, I don't think that the roster is necessarily upper middle class, but I think their coach makes it upper middle but, class. But look, just, just if you look at the Eastern Conference, it surrounds them right now. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, 
How would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Among the teams that were in kind of the bottom half of the playoffs, right? So if you're Indiana... You, you look at the season that Victor Oladipo just mm-hmm. had, and you go, okay, Victor Oladipo, that, that's a dude that we can build around. Milwaukee has Giannis. Washington mm-hmm. have Wall and Beal. Uh, in, in the West, again, bottom half of the conference. New, uh, New Orleans has uh, Davis. New, New Orleans has Davis. Utah has Donovan Mitchell. OKC has Paul George and Westbrook. Uh, San Antonio just traded for DeMar DeRozan. They have Aldridge. Minnesota, you know, it hasn't worked, but, you know, Wiggins, Towns, and Jimmy Butler, at least you can – talk yourself into, well, if we trade them or if we get this back in mm-hmm. return or we, we make the right changes, you know, Denver with Jokic, like, the Heat don't even have Jokic, and Alf made fun, Alf, Alf of, of Heat being made fun of me for Jokic, but, like, Jokic's a damn good player, and, like... Who's it, 24, Chris. Right, who's I mean, 24, I, like... I, I, Goran is, what, 31, right? Yeah. So, so, I mean, that, that's the so problem. Unless, We're not so saying un- that Goran's not a good player. He's a very good player, but, I mean, he's not a build-around player at this mm-hmm. stage so so, so I, un- unless you're and then obviously the Lakers with LeBron and and uh even Dallas now with Doncic like you can you, you can start to get excited about that like unless you're projecting massive growth from either Bam Justice or Josh which I am not maybe he you know the the Optimus Heat fans are like again they're just isn't anything right now in the team that gives you that sense of hope going forward. So I, I, maybe Pat Riley is right in some respects that you can just enjoy the basketball, and certainly I would be sort of down for an argument like that, which is just, hey, enjoy the games. Go, you know, go to the games. They'll be fun. They'll make the playoffs. They'll, they'll be entertaining. It's not like we play a dreary style of basketball, but I, I just don't know that there's really anything there that going forward, that in three years' time, okay, here's our path back to contending for championships. And that's how Pat Riley's always measured himself. So I feel comfortable, even if it makes me sound like demanding and, and, and entitled, that I, I feel comfortable saying, well, I, I want the path to the next one. I, I want some kind of layout or plan that you can see that's obvious, that's not, well, in two years we'll have cap space, like something more than that, that would lead me to believe that that's down the road for the Heat. This is the Five Reasons Sports Network. Sports by Miami for Miami on demand. We now have 10 podcasts in the network posting roughly 15 times per week. All can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and several cross-platform apps. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. 
Here's some of what you missed last week on The Fish Tank when they interviewed Mike Pouncey. You know, every single day when I came to work, I was the best football player I could be. And I felt like I made guys better around me. And I love the organization. I mean, we didn't win as much as we should have. But I love being a Miami Dolphin. I love the fact of saying, hey, listen, I'm a Dolphin. If you want to get involved as a sponsor or a contributor, reach out to us at number 5 Reason Sports on Twitter. And don't forget to punch 5 Reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe. All right, let's move uh, part two here to the Dolphins. And in particular, I want to focus, Chris, on the wide receivers. A guy who's gone and some of the guys who are here. Jarvis Landry cannot stop talking about the Dolphins, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) It just doesn't stop. I I don't know. This is how bad it is, okay? Britt McHenry, who you know I'm not a fan of, um, tweeted some ridiculous, ridiculous stuff. I mean, her sports opinions somewhere beneath her political opinions. She tweeted uh, some ridiculous stuff about Ryan Tannehill, about how Serena Williams would make a better quarterback, okay, and other stuff to that effect. Um, And so after she made these ridiculous comments about Ryan Tannehill, uh, Josh Houts, who's kind of a friend of the network, posted, uh, or maybe it was him or maybe it was someone else, posted a poll about uh, who you despised more, Britt McHenry, as a Dolphin fan, Britt McHenry, or Jarvis Landry, and Jarvis was winning that poll the last that I checked. Um, This was a guy who was one of the most popular, if not the most popular Dolphin over the past two to three years. He was actually right in saying he was the face of the team, but I I don't know if he's right about the fact that the team didn't want him to be the face of the team, but he was definitely the face of the team the last two years. Yes, I mean, he was the he was the try hard face of the Dolphins, right? Like this was the guy who you knew was giving you max effort. Now, sometimes it went over the line, but uh, he gave you max effort all the time. And he was and this is really the issue here, Chris. He was featured more than any other player in Dolphin history. Okay, I mean, like featured to the extent that Ricky Williams was in 2002 and 2003. I mean, if you just look at plays that he used, if, if, if you did usage rate, in the NFL, like you do in basketball, he had a Westbrook like usage rate over the past couple of seasons, just like Ricky did in 2002, 2003. But since he's left, he's basically compared the Cleveland quarterback situation favorably compared to Tannehill and the Dolphins, um, which again, we can make an argument about it, but I don't know why it was necessary to do. Uh, and then he's also uh, come out and complained about his usage or the way he was used with the Dolphins and kind of, Called out Aaron Adam Gase pretty specifically on that. Does he have a point about any of this? Uh, I see. For me, the thing, and, and and we were arguing about this, is that I do think that there is a semantic a, a semantical argument that's I think at the heart of this. So he used the word underutilized, right? And I don't think there's a uh, there's a universe in which Jarvis Landry can argue he was underutilized with 160 targets. He averaged 10 targets a game. It was in the top five of the league, and it's an astronomical figure, right? He was the center point of the offense. But I do think he can say he was improperly utilized in that he feels like he can do more as a receiver. And I, I, I mean, you, we, we can check his average depth of target or go back and look at the film on all 160 of those targets and check and see where in the field they were thrown. I can pretty well assure that a lot of them are within six yards of the line of scrimmage. And maybe that's where he feels like, okay, you're going to criticize me for averaging 8.8 yards per catch. Well, if you had given me more opportunities to run down the 
field and you maybe catch 15-yard passes, like that number wouldn't look so bad. I was cast in this role in this offense that's not my only skill set, right? Like I wanted to do more. I wanted to do more like different stuff. But because he's come out and criticized Tannehill for not organizing team activities when a lot of people have said that Tannehill did do that when he's criticized like he's done a lot of criticizing in the aftermath of leaving the Dolphins and it hasn't and it hasn't always come off as true frankly like it hasn't come off as valid criticisms and and the Dolphins have have you know or at least Adam Gase I I, I don't know the extent to which this has been denied but a lot of it has been denied um I I do think that Jarvis Landry is clearly bitter about something that happened during his time in Miami. I think he wanted to be valued as a franchise player, and he wasn't, right? Just strictly based off the contract, uh, Landry told SI, I believe, that he was offered five years 55 with about half of it guaranteed. and ended up getting five years 80 with about half of it guaranteed. So he was given a much bigger contract from Cleveland. I think he wanted that contract from Miami in a different role as well. It was just never going to happen. So I understand that there is some bitterness I understand in sort of a world in which he could have said it differently that he would have been right, but the way in which it came out just sounds like a bitter, you know, ex-player who, you know, is is angry about the way that the situation played out and maybe doesn't want to be in Cleveland and, and maybe looks around and goes, well, how the hell am I here? And, and, and maybe I'm sort of projecting things onto him that aren't true, but I, I don't understand why he continues to have a go at the Dolphins and Adam Gase when... I think it all kind of played out as it should have. What's funny about the Cleveland thing is um, if they had Des Bryant, and that's something as we're taping this podcast today that still may happen, uh, they have more big names on that offense than the Dolphins have on theirs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, I mean L- Landry, Gordon, and Bryant. Now, I don't know what Des has left. Um, I mean, he's had I, his I, own. I, I don't think it's very much. The, the inju- I, I think the injuries have totally wrecked his career. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And I also think, by the way, he's been treated totally unfairly, I, I, I think, by the media and the Cowboys. I, I don't I, – they, one of the reports that came out, um, you know, from uh, – I guess from Matt uh, Miller at Bleacher Report, which cited uh, unnamed Cowboys players, you know, sort of killing him. Um, I, I hate those reports. I hate those reports. I mean, it's fine to educate your opinion on something, but to go out with a report like that yeah. uh, really, really bugged me. I, who are those players? I mean, those players could be backup special teamers. Like, I, I don't know who those players are. And, and I, I think to, to sort of put uh, Des on blast about that, I think is totally unfair. But but getting back to, to Cleveland here, um, you know, I, again, I mean, they've got Carlos Hyde. They've got Duke Johnson. <laughs> they brought in Baker Mayfield. They've got Tyrod Taylor, like on paper. And I know you can't do that in the NFL because a lot of times you put those pieces together and they don't work. But on paper, they have a lot bigger names than the Dolphins do. But I, I guess my thing with Jarvis um, is this. I just don't know what purpose it serves at this point. I, I, I just I don't understand it. Like he, he still had a lot of supporters here in South Florida, a lot who felt as you're talking about that, that he could have been valued more um, that there shouldn't have been such a focus on kind of the blowups on the field because the other things that he did made it worth it. Um, and, and so I think part of what's happened here is that the Ajayi thing, which, uh, you know, there was some criticism of Gase after that has kind of allowed voice to be given to some of these criticisms of Gase. And so, and I look, players can criticize whoever they want. And there are probably players. I'm sure there are players who are still with the dolphins who feel that way about Adam Gase. I mean, 
I can tell you from covering the Dolphins for years, there's 53 guys plus practice squad guys plus other guys coming in and out. There are always guys who are pissed at the coach, always, okay? And they're always sidling up to reporters to tell them uh, that they should be utilized a different way. I mean, it used to happen with me all the time, all the time, okay? And certain guys constantly, and then they'd get their opportunity. They wouldn't do anything with it. But I, I do think that there's this sort of empowerment now about criticizing the Dolphins and criticizing Adam Gase. Uh, and I think in part... The Dolphins have brought some of that on themselves because, as we've talked about on previous podcasts, they have a habit of kind of using the media to criticize guys on the way. Right. Out the it's actually and, and they, did it with, they did it with Landry. actually. Right. And, and, that, and that kind of smear camp. Not, I don't want to call it a smear campaign, but like a. Well, it so, is. It is. Chris. Yeah. I mean, it is. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, I, 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 I agree. But to me. It's one of the things that I don't like about the Dolphins. I don't like when things start getting leaked and, oh, well, these are the problems that we've been dealing with with this player to kind of hasten the departure. But I I do think with Landry, like, I think some of that stuff has been justified. Like, I I, I understand now why the Dolphins would... Now, I think it's a lot of it's to try and get the fan base on side with their decisions. And when he... I think if you sort of polled people, how do you feel about Jarvis Landry being traded to the Cleveland Browns when it happened? I think there would have been a lot of Dolphins negativity... Whereas if you pulled that now, I think a lot of the Dolphins fan base that's seen what's happened with Landry since he's left, I, I think that move would probably now overwhelmingly be positively received. So I, I, I do think that that shift has happened without question on Jarvis. And part of it is his own responsibility. And part of it is, I think, the Dolphins, you know, having information out there that I think has has sort of swayed public opinion. But I no doubt think that he is no longer as popular here. And it's not just the way, like, I actually think that there have been times where because of the way that people feel about the Dolphins, after people have left, you almost kind of end up rooting for them a little bit because it's, oh, you, you finally got away from the Dolphins and the Dolphins have been this terrible organization and have kind of ruined your career but I don't I definitely don't think that's the case here with Jarvis Landry no but they look they did it with Ajayi um, and they did it with Sue to a certain degree and they did it with Landry and and they again they use certain reporters to do it and it's obvious and look the, the heat um, <laughs> you know the heat have refrained from doing it in a lot of situations now when certain guys we've talked about this too when certain guys in the media are criticizing say Hassan mm-hmm. um we kind of know where that's coming from. Sure. Okay. I mean, that, that's, it's from inside the house. Okay. Uh, because there are certain reporters who are not going to criticize the heat unless it's coming from the heat. And so it's just something, but I mean, if but, I mean but, but if think you're about, in this business, you know, but, but think about how much they wanted to have a pop at LeBron. I mean, they, they would have loved to have well, know, and, and, all and kinds they, of stuff. And look, some of them did um, quietly. Um, you know, some of them did, you know, to me, uh, some of them did to uh, to others in the media. I mean, there are stories that still haven't gotten out uh, that just basically we a lot of us just decided were not worth telling. Um, but but they did. But they were mostly restrained. And I, I think, um, you know, again, I, when I did a long sit down with Pat, you know, I guess it was a year and a half, a year after it happened. And Pat, on the record, was was, you know, very sort of critical of LeBron and breaking up the generational team and all of that. Uh, it did strike me as a departure because they had avoided doing that publicly in any way. And Spolster in particular, in particular, uh, bent over backwards not to do that. So uh, it is again, it is a different approach. And I do think some of that has boomeranged on the Dolphins a little bit um, and, and where Landry has wanted to sort of say his piece because he felt that that media members were being used against him. But uh, again, I, I don't think that there's really any point for him to continue to do it. Now, look, uh, one other thing before we get to the Marlins, 
um, is one of the other reasons I think that people are sort of getting over the Landry thing here is because this happens in every training camp where everybody gets excited about the current receivers. Like yeah. this is this is a this is a right of summer. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, I go back to the days of Brian Manning, who was, I believe, a uh, like a sixth round pick, maybe um, in the late ninety, in the mid to late nineties, um, in a in and. I remember going to Mexico City during, I think it was Zach's either rookie year or second year, and people were more excited about Brian Manning than about Zach Thomas um, because he was the receiver who was tearing up. And Zach Thomas, who, by the way, is going to be on our network this week on, on Fish Tank. Uh, he did an hour sit down with OJ and Seth. But uh, we're not doing one with Brian Manning. Nice guy, but didn't, <laughs> <laughs> but and very smart, went to Stanford, but didn't pan out into anything. And I feel like we did this all the time. We did it with Robert Baker. We did it with James Pruitt. Um, one reporter in particular who, particular who we just recently had uh, on our podcast did an excellent job for us, did it with Legadu Nane. Uh, we, we do this with these receivers uh, every year. There was a Chris Williams, I believe, a few years ago. I Every year, there's this fifth or sixth receiver, and I feel like there are two guys this year. There's Jakeem Grant, okay, who I, I understand some of the hype there because we saw a little bit of it. Right, he and, actually did it in regular season games. He, he did it in a regular season game, and I felt he should have been more utilized last year earlier. Uh, and the other is Isaiah Ford, who was drafted mm-hmm. last year in the seventh round, and now he is the hot thing uh, in training camp. And the only thing I'll say here before we move to the Marlins is just be careful here. Okay. <laughs> I just, just be careful because we do. I, Roberto Wallace is another name. Uh, there was a guy named London. Uh, I can't remember his first name. He was oh, also that, a model. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there is always one that we get excited about. And then they're either cut on the last day of camp and everybody makes a big deal. They don't get picked up anywhere else. Uh, or they end up on the practice squad and maybe they get into a game. One story before we move to the Marlins, Robert Baker, uh, who actually became a rapper. Ultimately, I, I, I think his name became Shiv Shivers. Uh, I ran into him at he, <laughs> he became a rapper. Look at the, 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 uh, the, the, the amount of detail to which you remember on these stories is insane yeah, to me. I, I can't remember what I did last week, but, uh, <laughs> I spent a lot of money at Disney, but, um, but so Robert Baker uh, finally got in a game, finally got in a game, and he caught a pass. And I remember I was standing with him and Aronde Gadsden at their lockers, and Robert looked at Aronde and said, Aronde had something like 300 catches in the NFL at that point. He was a starting receiver who had made it from nothing, right? He was an arena league guy. Uh, and Robert Baker looked at him and said, I'm coming for you. And that was his last catch. He never had another one. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just saying yeah. – just, just be, be cautious on Isaiah Ford. That's I. He may, he may end up being really good. I don't know, but he may be Sam Simmons. I mean, we, we, I've been through this, uh, too many times. All right, let, let's move here. I, I, I just want to okay. know. I just want to know very quickly that uh, Danny Amendola's relationship is far more significant to me. It seems mm-hmm. like he and Tannehill are getting in, in getting into a good relationship, and people are impressed with the amount of things that he can do. I think people sort of view him as a Patriot slot guy. And and I think he, he appears to have done more than that. And also, I, I think I might have done a little bit of what you were doing because uh, as you were talking, uh, I was kind of, I, I flipped through my Instagram feed and the first thing at the top of it was uh, Mike Gesicki catching a fade route on the Dolphins. Uh, yeah. And he, he looks so impressive, man. That dude's huge. That dude's well, well, huge. Well, but, but, but that see that one I understand. Like that one I get. Like that that's that's a that's a second round pick who did ungodly things in college. Like and yeah. and we know. Look, we know 
what his strength is. Okay. Like we know what his weakness is and, and yeah. that's, you know, being addressed in camp too. And that won't really come into play until we get into the games, but we know what his strength is. And like, I, I think he's a rookie of the year candidate, honestly. So I, that one's legit, but, and maybe Isaiah Ford is legit and maybe Jakeem Grant takes the next step, but they could also be Julius Pruitt. Okay. Right. I, I just, I, I just, I've been through this. Uh, and, and I mean, if we're talking about all these different names, like we don't know how many of them are going to make the team and we don't know how many of them are going to get a reasonable amount of reps that they could impress. Like Jakeem Grant's issue for two years has been that he can't get on the field. Like they're just, they're, there's too much of a log jam at receiver. Now, maybe some of that gets solved with Landry leaving, but I mean, if you still have Devonte Parker, Kenny Stills, uh, and Amendola, uh, and, and Albert Wilson, like th- that's a lot. Like, unless you're playing regular four receiver sets, which doesn't really happen very often in the NFL, like it's going to be hard for all these guys to get reps. All right, let's go to the Marlins here real quick, because there is some potential news with them. Uh, the trade deadline is coming up here, uh, in the next 24 hours. And look, the one guy on the Marlins, and we can talk about some of the re- relievers that are out there that, the Marlins uh, may may continue to move, you know, just to sort of add pieces because, you know, the one thing you don't really need when you're not a contending team at this stage uh, are sort of, you know, high end uh, seventh inning relievers like that. That's something that you can find down the road. Uh, but the one piece that they have that other teams want is JT Riomoto, and and he's having a good year. He was an all star. Um, he plays a premium position where it's difficult to find kind of a cornerstone piece. He's sort of the one guy left from that core group that they had. And there are teams that are interested And the team that's been talked. It was the Astros at one point. The team that's been talked about the most recently is the nationals. Um, there was an offer reportedly uh, with a top prospect, an outfield prospect, Victor Robles. Um, they're, they're also part of that offer was a catcher who's kind of considered more of a placeholder, uh, uh, Spencer Kaiboom, who I guess Eric Reed would like, but uh, I don't know a whole lot about him. <laughs> And, and, and I and I, I guess it took me a second. That joke was great. <laughs> that, that, so, sorry. Uh, and, and so I just don't. I, so I'm looking at this now. And I, I guess the question is, is really this. Um, can you get more potentially by tomorrow? I, I guess it's possible. Um, Robles, I guess I was looking up some stuff on Baseball America. He's considered uh, at least as good a prospect as anybody that the Marlins acquired last offseason, uh, potentially better than anybody they acquired last offseason. He'd be under team control, which is obviously for the Marlins is a big deal. Uh, would you would you move, uh, you know, again, a premium catcher who has not yet entered his prime, who seems to have some leadership ability potentially also, who is who has learned how to handle a pitching staff? W- would you move that guy for one premium prospect or would you hold him, try to move him either this offseason or maybe even get a long-term deal done? Yeah, I'm surprised that the the Marlins can't hold an auction for this player. I mean, you look at there aren't that many major league catchers, and Real Muto missed a stretch of the season, but there are many major league catchers that have the requisite number of at bats to be listed as qualified hitters. There's actually on ESPN only seven, and on Fangraphs there's only six. So I think it's a minimum number of 300 at bats in order to qualify. And Ramuta's got by far the highest uh, OPS and by far the highest WAR. Like this, you can make the argument is the best offensive catcher in baseball. And you're right. I think he is really the the, the Marlins' last remaining asset. Now, 
you can certainly hold on to him with the thinking that at some point we're going to want to be good and he can be a building block. But I feel like that's far enough down the road that you can make a decision to hold an auction for him now. He's 27 years of age. If let's say your timeline is to be good in 2021, right? Let's say it's three years from now and, and he, like he'll be in his 30s. Like you, This is, I think, represents the peak of his value and I do think that the Marlins should seriously think about trading him and hold an auction. I saw yesterday there were some quotes from from Bryce Harper, or it was actually it was over the weekend. So the Marlins uh, beat the Nationals in walk-off fashion on Saturday night. And I think after the game, uh, Bryce Harper said, well, that wouldn't have happened if he was on our team. And so Bryce Harper is packing on the pressure. Now, Bryce Harper might leave, so I don't know if, if, if the Nationals want to be taking their personnel decision advice from a player who might not be there, but the Nationals are six off the wild card right now. They have a long way to catch Chris, that's Arizona. What, that's what, Chris, that's what the Heat did. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, right. It would, I mean, that's uh, Napier he, over Capella, right? Right, yeah, he, he might be the Shabazz Napier of the Nationals, Remy, although he's a lot better. But, yeah, uh, but yeah like, I, I think that for teams that want to compete, that want to contend, Ramuto would be an incredible addition. Like you don't have very many, ca- you know, catchers that are near 900 in OPS and have a batting average over 300. Like this is a really good player at his position, and I think could be a premium addition for like might be one of the best players available at the deadline. So I think the Marlins should be able to get a lot, whether it's one elite elite prospect or three really good ones. Like I think the Marlins should be able to make a killing here on this trade. And I think if we're talking about a really you know long timeline for the Marlins to really get good, like I don't know if J- JT Romuto age thirty is going to be at this offensive level in three years' time. Is going to be able to catch you know 110, 100 120 games at that age like sell high like that's the whole point of all this is sell high and I the, I, I thought they've really only done so so far on Yelich and I think they can do I think they can make a killing here and I think they should Yelich is leading the National League in, in hitting right now right that's yep. uh, yeah yeah he's, he, he's up there yeah um bad, well yeah, anyway 320 start with Nick Markakis of the Braves yeah, yeah. This is, um, by the well, way, the first time I've I've been on the uh, National League player batting stats page <laughs> all year long. I, I just I just noticed that the other day. I mean, I know I know. Obviously, look, Stanton's hasn't had that that hot streak that he had last year, so that little different story. But I, I guess a couple questions on this. I, I guess would JT's market be greater now, or as you said, the Nationals are six games out. Um, I think mm-hmm. it might be a little bit different, and, and I know they have to sort of prove it to Harper. Uh, and that's playing into this that, you know, if they want him to stay, although I don't think he's staying, but if they want him to stay, that they have to try to make a run. But I wonder if the Nationals were two games out, if this would look a little bit different, they might be a little bit more willing to part with a second big time prospect. And, and I also wonder if you just hold JT until the offseason, what the market would be for him. I, the, the other thing about it, too, is, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, him being 27 years old, and you, know, you don't think of catchers as aging gracefully at times but but a lot of them have um and and sometimes they don't catch as many games but he's a good enough athlete that he could move to another position like he he doesn't have to be a catcher full-time when he's 31 and that's the only other thing to consider here I mean you look at his workload over the past uh four years I mean he really didn't break in till he was 24 right I mean if you look at how many games he's actually caught over the past few years he caught nine in 2014 he caught 118 2015 129 in 2016 126 last season and then 71 this season. So, I mean, he's caught 453 games. I mean, that's not, I mean, if I was to look at Yadier Molina right now, um, 
you know, it's quite a bit higher. So I, I don't, I don't think that he's going to age so poorly that you couldn't make an argument um, to keep mm-hmm. him around and sort of make him your build around piece. I mean, he has all the other attributes. And so I don't know if you have to sort of, it, I agree with you. If you can, if you can get an auction situation here um, where you had two or three teams bidding, then it makes sense. But I think if you don't have something you really like, I wouldn't be averse to the Marlins holding him into the offseason and looking at two other options, which is trading him then or signing him to a long-term deal. I mean, just for perspective here, Molina has caught 1,788 games, 1,788 games, including 73 this season at age 35. So, you know, if JT took that kind of career path, and I think it's certainly possible because if you look at Molina, 27 years old, um, he probably wasn't as good as JT is now. So I, I think you can you can make an absolute argument for looking at uh, at keeping him long term, so we'll see what happens on that. Uh, obviously, check us out, you know, on iTunes, on on Google Play, on anywhere that you get your podcasts. Uh, but also check out the other podcasts in our network and check out the Patreon feed. Uh, we will be running more contests on there this week. We're also going to run another contest for a Texas Roadhouse certificate here on our pod that we are doing with Dave Hyde. Join us uh, for that one and for the others this week. Have a good day. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.